0: Hey, everyone. Today's book finally destigmatizes men who love jewelry. It's Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring by J.R.R.R. Tolkien. I'm Kellen Erskine. I'm a
1: comic, a father, and I'm really excited for this episode because The Fellowship of the Ring is what I called the lender when I borrowed money for my wife's engagement ring. (laughs) I'm kidding. I sold my truck. (laughs)
0: And I'm David Vance. This is the first book that made me want to be a writer, and the first book that made Tolkien want to be a poet. So it's been bad for both of us. (laughs) The Fellowship of the Ring follows Frodo Baggins as he inherits a powerful... I'm kidding. You've seen the movie. And this is The Book Pile. Quick reminder to please rate and review the book pile. If you do, we will send you this reward. A recording of me describing the plot of hit fantasy novel, The Sword of Shannara, which I have not read in 17 years and which is a ripoff of Lord of the Rings. I promise I will send this to you. (laughs) So Brypod says... This has quickly become one of my
1: favorite podcasts, Ellipses. They also make me want to read the books they review, although I may never read How to Win Friends and Influence People ever again after their thorough skewering of it. (laughs) If you
0: guys like that, you're going to love when we cover Twilight. (laughs) Finally, next Monday's episode is Emma and then The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. My favorite? Lust. (laughs) And without further ado, here are our four favorite lessons from The Fellowship of the Ring. All right, lesson one. So before I actually say the lesson, I'm going to tell a little story. So imagine you're an orc, and you live underground with your family, (laughs) and you're not bothering anyone. You keep to yourself. And one day, these nine dudes break into your house and wreak havoc. They go through your stuff. They kill a ton of your friends, your siblings. They kill the Balrog, who was the toughest guy in the whole place. And you're like, how could I have prevented this? So, lesson one, set stronger passwords. Because I bet those orcs were so pissed that their door said, speak, friend, and enter, and the password was just friend. It's like if your password is password, and then someone came in and killed your whole family.
1: So, over the the course of the last four months or so, I read The Fellowship of the Ring with my nine-year-old son. And at that point... When you find out that the password is friend, my son laughed so hard that it made me remember nothing funny had happened in the book for a good 200 pages.
0: (laughs) Unless you consider Tom Bombadil to be the performance art which he was intended to be. I have a friend who's
1: a real Lord of the Rings nerd, and uh, he said that J.R.R. Tolkien was trying to create like uh, mythology for Great Britain. That was one of the reasons, and so he took things from mythology. and Apparently, Tom Bombadil—you find this sort of character in mythological stories—the boring archetype. <laughs> I'm no professor, but I don't remember that part of Hercules when uh, <laughs> he's going through his 10 tasks and then just sort of spends the night at a guy's house who wastes his time. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, think of the seven dwarves. It's like happy, doc, dopey, bashful, and boring as sin. <laughs> so, real life application of the password stuff. <laughs> I just read, this is how they tell me the world ends by Nicole Perlroth. Here's some terrifying facts. Iran has hacked a dam in New York. China stole the design of the F-35 jet and the code for Google. Russia turned off power for hundreds of thousands of Ukrainians in the winter. I still use my friend Tori's Hulu account. So (laughs) what I'm saying is just, you know, passwords-wise, be careful uh, because we hackers can be dangerous.
1: (laughs) Listen to create a world by reminding us of its history. Create a world, then bury it. So The Fellowship of the Ring is the, you know, the first book in the Lord of the Rings series and so much of the history of this world is established using a bunch of different things that that I've noticed. You read a lot of sort of quick references to ancient wars. You, you hear stories that are told by elves and wizards who have lived a very long time. You see landmarks along the journey like a half-buried statue or a tomb. Um And there are
0: way too many songs. So with all of these things... (laughs) And Tom Bombadil is so boring that no one would mistake him for something modern.
1: As much as the songs are such a slow part of the book, I I feel like I get what he was doing. Tolkien was a professor of English language and literature and an academic, you know, of history in in general. And so I know that he's using these songs, again, to convey this vast history of this world. I'm so curious to know what he would think about the movies because they got rid of basically all the songs. (laughs) But I can't imagine how we felt about the cartoon. In 1980, there's an animated version of The Return of the King, which is basically kind of the whole trilogy in two hours. And not only did they take out the songs from the book, but they made up new songs. <laughs> <laughs> and the orcs sing one of them. <laughs> so it's like they completely misread like the purpose for these songs because all the songs that you read about in the book are, uh, you know, it's about like an elf queen that lived 9,000 years ago, you know, just to give you the root system of, you know, the elf city that they're in currently it just gives you the sort of like <laughs> this idea of the, the vastness of this culture. But then the orcs, they literally sing a song about how marching is hard. (laughs) Which, true. (laughs) To me, the reason why the Lord of the Rings books are such an immersive experience for me is because the way that he's composed it, we get this sense that the story is like the tip of the iceberg of this massive yeah. story of Middle Earth. Star Wars does it too, to an extent. So, to me, as far as history goes, Star Wars is America and Lord of the Rings is Europe. <laughs> so, like, where Star Wars came in and destroyed everything that had been there before. <laughs> In Italy, you've got like the, among, you know, a myriad of other ancient structures in Europe, you've got the Colosseum, which is constructed 2,000 years ago. Uh, but then I used to live down the street from the first Bob's Big Boy. <laughs> built in 1936. That's American history. Isn't it funny? Like, have you ever been to the East Coast and there are all these like historical monuments that are
0: 117 years old? And so Star Wars... Like, if there are literally people older than your monuments, they're not monuments yet. (laughs)
1: So Star Wars, Star Wars accomplishes this visual explanation that everything there had a history behind it. Like instead of the shimmery, silvery sci-fi stuff of the fifties and sixties, like you go to Tatooine and you have people living in huts. There's dirty old vehicles and weapons that have accumulated some, you know, dusty mileage on them. And so I, I think they, it, it succeeds in giving us a sense that there is some history behind this place. To me, the opposite of Lord of the Rings is the World of Warcraft movie. In a nutshell, it did everything wrong in this sense, as far as like trying to build a world, to the point where half the characters had American accents, which I found Mm. it just doesn't work. Fantasy is sort of built on the Middle Ages, right? With knights and castles. So then to have a guy like watch out, everyone, a dragon is coming. You know, it just completely (laughs) takes you out of it and puts you in the present time. So as much as I make fun of the too many songs in Lord of the Rings, maybe it's better to err on the side of adding dull, rhyming history (laughs) than than to write a shallow story where the foundation of the world is so thin that I don't believe it in the first place.
0: (laughs) It is kind of like, your song history in Harry Potter comes from the sorting hat But it's so boring that the years Harry actually makes it to the sorting, it's like, oh, I'm glad he misses these most often. (laughs) So for me, a a real life example of the magic of the ancient is I was living in Dallas and my friend Nick told me about this shopping mall where if you go downstairs and you go through these hallways, you can find this really old giant bank vault from decades ago. So I went there, found it, and just explored. Were you low on rent? (laughs) The lockboxes were all closed, but you could walk right in, and it looks like it's from the Great Depression or something. And so, all of a sudden, for me, that shopping mall became magic just because hidden in, like, the bowels of the mall was this secret, older thing. It sounds like you're talking about the (laughs) Balrog. I did kill someone by pushing them off a bridge down there, so... (laughs) Uh, how great would that have been if you are just leading us
1: up to, like, this bank vault, and you're like, and then I turned a corner, and there it was, made of shadow and flame. <laughs>
0: how old is this mall? While I was down there, and I saw how giant the bank vault door was, it did cross my mind that I could get Cask of Amontillado'd if anyone shut that door. <laughs>
1: By the way, do we want to talk about who whose fault it is? That it really is sort of the dwarves' fault that Gandalf is dead cuz oh, they, they awoke the Balrog. Yeah. So uh, I know, I guess we agree on it then. I didn't know if you were like team Lothlórien or team Moria. <laughs>
0: well, it does feel like Okay sure it's partly their fault for awakening the balrog but they didn't make gandalf go through that cave like if i'm the first swimmer <laughs> eaten by jaws and the other swimmers still go in the water it's a little bit on them too <laughs> like when is it when is it someone else's fault <laughs> And the Balrog,
1: I mean, it is pretty incredible. Gandalf was able to do because it talks about even in the book that that moment happens with the Balrog with his giant sword. It comes down, and Gandalf holds up his. Uh, it would be like literally if you were like fighting a toy GI Joe, if you had a sword, all you have to do is like smash them flat with the broad end of it. <laughs> like you don't have to like you know the skill it would take to aim
0: perfectly down at their tiny little sword (laughs) and I definitely wouldn't put my huge weight on the world's narrowest bridge (laughs) he's
1: got a whip that's long enough that while he's falling he can grab people who
0: are still up there (laughs) Mm -hmm. you don't have to go on the bridge (laughs) if your whip was long enough to grab him while falling through the air then why didn't you start with that (laughs) Also, you ever notice in the movie how Gandalf is still hanging on and Frodo wants to run and help him and he's held back by Aragorn? <laughs> <laughs> no, he needs to do this himself.
1: Or he'll never learn. <laughs> Sometimes, oh, whoops. Uh, bad call. <laughs> now I'm the leader. <laughs> Gandalf, I'll help you up. First, throw me your magic staff. (laughs) All right. Lesson three, don't worry about pacing. So this is something that I struggle with a lot in the one novel that I've written that no one will ever read, is how do you seamlessly go from one thing to the next without just typing in seven weeks later colon (laughs) my book was called the seven week old colon (laughs) and rereading the fellowship of the ring i realized that uh, i mean he doesn't even bother with it at all so maybe it's not important jk rowling does this really well Here's a couple of examples of the beginnings of of chapters when time passes by. She says, Snow was swirling against the icy windows once more. Christmas was approaching fast. So I love this one because it's not even like a certain amount of time. It's just giving you this uh, abstract idea that time is going by. This is sometime later without saying those words. Another one is, uh, Harry racked his brains over the next week. Oh, man, that sounds violent. Harry...
0: (laughs) That is a very visceral image. (laughs)
1: Harry bashed his school against his (laughs) four-poster bed, losing all track of time. So this is a great one. No, she says, Harry ragged his brains over the next week as to how he was to persuade Slughorn to hand over the true memory. So I like this one because it's she just sort of puts it in the middle of it also, that you kind of forget it as you're reading it because she, she moves on quickly into what he's – he's just spending his time trying to figure out, uh, you know, how to trick an adult. That's the the real <laughs> meat of that sentence. <laughs> But Tolkien's strategy is to just avoid coming up with pacing transitions altogether by just sort of never leaving anything out and telling the whole story <laughs> in real time.
0: Have you ever heard that quote, that the secret to being a bore is to tell everything? <laughs>
1: so here's, a, here's an example from The Fellowship of the Ring. And again... Not that I have to defend myself. I love this book. And I I do think it could be that one of the reasons why this story pays off so well is because by the end of it, you do feel like you've lived this lifetime with these characters because Mm. you're there for every unimportant (laughs) moment. (laughs) So here's some examples. At last, they set off. They led their ponies down the hill, and then mounting, they trotted quickly along the valley. They looked back and saw the top of the old mound on the hill. Then they turned a shoulder of the downs, and it was hidden from view. (laughs) So all that's happening. He's just telling us that as you travel away from things, they get smaller. We know that. He's he's saying what things look like as he's walking away. (laughs) They went forward steadily, but soon they saw that the road was further away than they had imagined. Even without a fog, their sleep at midday would have prevented them from reaching it until after nightfall on the day before. The dark line that they had seen was not a line of trees, but a
0: line of bushes. Why does every one of these descriptions sound like a preface to a math problem? That as he's going
1: back through this, like on the second draft, <laughs> he's just like, yeah, this part where they thought that it was trees, but they're actually bushes, <laughs>
0: that'll contribute later on. I love that the editor came back and was like, wait, 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 but when they walked away, did it get smaller in the distance? <laughs> Can you include forced perspective in the prose? <laughs> <laughs> then Tom
1: turned due north, for they had been bearing somewhat to the west. And maybe, again, that's why all of us love this book, is that maybe these iconic moments like the Balrog and Gandalf, they're even that much more pronounced and memorable when it was preceded by just like four months of hiking. <laughs>
0: The best way to make a good hamburger is to starve the patron. <laughs> <laughs> All right, lesson four. To make something new, remix something old. So I, I noticed something in the fantasy genre, which is that authors will take something real that already feels magic and they just make it a little more magical. So think about castles, owls, trains. Those are real, and they feel magic. So J.K. just took them and made them more magical for Harry Potter. Or think about, like, old mansions with dusty wardrobes. Those are real. They already feel magic to us. C.S. Lewis just made it more magical for Narnia. Also, you know, after that book, at least one kid was terribly injured in a wardrobe. (laughs) (laughs) So, bearing that in mind now, look at Fellowship. So, like, if you've ever been in an underground cave and you felt that mystery and that adventure and that, like, sense of foreboding, all of that is a real thing. And Tolkien takes that real thing, that real experience, and he basically adds orcs and a Balrog, and all of a sudden you get this incredibly memorable scene in Moria, which honestly, like, adding a Balrog, I think more authors should do. (laughs) Like, imagine War and Peace and a, a barag <laughs> here are some of the real like magical things that he incorporates in this book ancient languages old myths medieval battles volcanoes forests map making military history religions road trips it's it's crazy the amount of knowledge that went into this piece of fantasy and magic spells <laughs>
1: if i may add my two cents <laughs> <laughs> a worthy contribution Oh, when you were talking about caves. So here's uh, a lesser memory from 2020. During lockdown, during that very confusing state, like the first two or three weeks, where you're like, can I go to the store without a firearm? Is everything going to be okay? You know, <laughs> um, we hike a lot as a family and we hadn't been able to do that. So I found first person POV footage of someone who walked through a cave. So I thought, hey, that would be cool to try and simulate. So me and my two boys, nine and four years old, um, we put it up on a projector and we stood in front of it and uh, just sort of walked through this cave for 15 minutes. And uh, we all got motion sickness (laughs) and just trying to create moments with my kids Uh, And I had to take Dramamine. (laughs) Have you ever been in a cave? They always say the same thing. Take a a tour of any cave. At some point, they'll turn off all the lights in the cave. And then they'll say, "Uh, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. And it's like... (laughs) And that's when I get handsy. You know, if there is a
0: best time to punch someone in the face... (laughs) I've watched so many mystery movies that when all the lights go off, I instinctively murder someone. (laughs) (laughs) And then throw down a weapon equidistant from
1: everyone else in the room. (laughs) (laughs) Why would you bring a lead pipe into a cavern? (laughs) But I just think it's silly, the phrase, like, you can't even see your hand in front of your face. It's like, yeah. Yeah, we can't see anything. (laughs) So why would you think that this one thing, you know how when everything's dark, but, uh, you know, your
0: fingers still glow a little bit? Well, this cave is so dark. They might be glowing if you've been rubbing them on that radioactive lead pipe. Lead isn't radioactive, but you get it. Do you ever think that maybe the murder mechanism of the lead pipe was just lead exposure? (laughs) That is funny. The whole story is like,
1: and then over time, he died.
0: (laughs) It's like a public health game where it's like, oh, the candlestick smoke inhalation can be very dangerous. (laughs) I want to play that game of Clue that
1: takes 12 years because the (laughs) murder weapon was asbestos. (laughs)
0: <laughs> all right random facts so robert nivelle was this french general in world war one and his famous quote about the germans was they shall not pass and it, it became very widespread and tolkien who fought in world war one adapted that phrase for when gandalf says to the balrog you shall not pass one that's an iconic phrase and two it's lucky for the fellowship that tolkien didn't fight with the french in world war Two. <laughs> Otherwise, he'd have Gandalf say to the Balrog, I'm here to collaborate.
1: <laughs> also, not to split hairs <clears throat> here, Gandalf destroys the Bridge of Khazad-dûm, making the Balrog fall. But I mean, that thing has wings.
0: <laughs> Do you think a Balrog is like a penguin or an ostrich? <laughs> <laughs> Where evolution has not been kind to it? Then they should have at
1: least showed that illustrated that in the movie that the thing just sort it just sort of like waddles up to Gandalf. <laughs> so speaking of terms I've heard my urologist use, in the Fellowship of the Ring, the elf ruler Celeborn references a swampy <laughs> land called the Wet Wang. <laughs>
0: So, there's a book by Tolkien that combines the two most boring elements of Lord of the Rings, Tom Bombadil and the poems. And it's just called <laughs> The Adventures of Tom Bombadil.
1: <laughs> That's so crazy to me. <laughs> After you've written this masterpiece, the, that would be your go to for a spin off. <laughs> the only thing that I can compare it to would be like if you wrote something as amazing as the Harry Potter series. And then, instead of exploring anything else, like the history of the castle or those characters, if instead you decided um, to write new stories about a, an animal book.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's like, <laughs> you come up with this magical world of Harry Potter, and then the thing you spin off is the textbook.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I can't wait till that the next Wizarding World franchise of... Uh, you know, crazy plants.
0: (laughs) Did you ever see that tweet after Black Panther that was like, Hollywood is responding to the success of Black Panther by greenlighting 11 Martin Freeman movies? So
1: Rankin-Bass was the production company that created Frosty the Snowman and the stop-motion classic Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. Uh, In 1980, they released the animated Return of the King movie that I mentioned earlier. Later, the director, Arthur Rankin, said, It's not a very good film. (laughs) (laughs) It just... Just as a fun audio example, I want to compare and contrast the music of Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings with 1980's Return (laughs) of the King cartoon. So here's Peter Jackson's. And here is Return of the King by the same company who brought you frosty the snowman it's so easy not to try that is the opening sequence of the the of the it is true though it's easy not to try <laughs> it's like was that their mission statement in making this movie <laughs>
0: I also read that Tolkien really didn't like the name Return of the King, because he's like, that's kind of a spoiler for the main plot point. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's like, my friends did a Harry Potter parody of book six, spoiler ahead, that they just called Harry Potter and the One where Dumbledore Dies.
1: <laughs> There's a moment in the book that I really like, where he describes each character by their feet, so he says...
0: <laughs> Quentin Tolcantino. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so he says, There was no sound but the sound of their own feet. The dull stump of Gimli's dwarf boots, the heavy tread of Boromir, the light step of Legolas, the soft, scarce patter of hobbit feet, and in the rear, the slow, firm footfalls of Aragorn in his long stride. And I'm sure he's sitting there going, "See what I did there?" Because <laughs> they also call him Strider. And then uh, later on that page, Frodo hears, uh, thinks he hears the faint fall of soft bare feet, which is a a fun little way to plant another seed of the fact that Gollum is is following them. It makes Gollum sound really cute, but also, I mean, if I'm sure <laughs> Gimli, if Gimli heard this, he'd be like. I mean, they're just boots. You don't have to call them dwarf boots. (laughs) You don't get to call them dwarf boots. I get... I, I guess I would have lead into it, especially if I was Legolas uh, in the beginning when they weren't really getting along. I'd be like, oh, are you hungry for some dwarf dinner?
0: <laughs> All right. And last thing, if you want a truly magical book, check out The Illustrated World of Tolkien. It's just a collection of a bunch of different illustrators and artists have drawn or painted something from Tolkien's world, and everyone is great. Cool. You prefer that now to the You're like <laughs>
1: Gaston when he's like, How can you read this? There's no pictures.
0: (laughs) 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 All right, to recap, our favorite lessons from The Fellowship of the Ring. One, set stronger passwords. Two, create a world by reminding us of its vast history. Three, don't worry about pacing. Four, to make something new, remix something old. And five, if you're ever having trouble sleeping,
1: just look up Tolkien's playlist.